Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. We're in this series on forgiveness, and uh, I'll tell you, this is one of those that uh, the deeper and deeper that I get into it, I realize something about myself. This requires a little bit of work from me. Uh, when somebody wrongs me, uh, I've been looking back and thinking, well, what's been my reaction to the way that people have treated me? I would love to tell you, it's always been the way that Jesus treated people that wronged him. I just can't tell you that. That, that is absolutely not true. There have been times where I have responded with, well, you know, if you were to spill a little bit of water on me, I'm gonna dump the five gallon on you. You know what I'm talking about, uh, because you had it coming to you, or at least that's the way that, that I would view it. And what I've been seeing over these last you know, months as I was getting into the word and uh, kind of unpacking the doctrine of forgiveness is how much room for personal improvement I have. Because there just were so many places where I would see in, in the life of Jesus, the kinds of things that he could forgive and the kinds of small things that I couldn't. And the way that it has impacted my marriage at times, the ways that it has impacted me as a father, the ways that it impacted me, has impacted me as a friend, uh, where somebody has genuinely done something, not a perceived wrong, you know, where there wasn't a wrong there, and I just thought there was because maybe you didn't give me what I wanted and you didn't know it to me anyway. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about a genuine wrong that had been done to me and my reaction to it. And uh, I gotta tell you, it's, it's been a little bit eye-opening and it's been good. It's one of those corrections that I think that I've, I've needed and it's been a blessing, even if it's been a challenge. And so we get into this passage today in Matthew chapter 18, where we see something of the goodness of God. See, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about why we need to forgive. And if you weren't here, or if you were here and you need a reminder, here's the reason, here's your why. The main reason that we need to forgive is because of simple fairness. Simple fairness. We owe it to others to forget. We owe it to others to forgive them because frankly, we've all needed to be forgiven ourselves. Isn't that true? I mean, isn't that true? And so if you look in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Here's the way that it begins. It says, Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Like up to seven times. Now stop there for just a second because Peter thinks that he's looking pretty good. Because if you look in the Talmud, so if you look in the Jewish tradition before this, they taught that you could forgive up to three times, but beyond three times, you actually didn't have any obligation to forgive somebody beyond that. So Peter is looking at Jesus, who they called the teacher or the rabbi, and he goes, well, how many times do you think that I should forgive Jesus? And Jesus, you know, up to seven times. Doesn't he look good? Because he's like more than doubling up the Jewish people and the tradition that was before him. Well, here's what Jesus says in verse 22. Well, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Okay, well, he ups the bar a little bit. And for those of you that like basic accounting, here's what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that when somebody is up to say, wronging you 463 times, that you need to start giving them a cautionary tale of what's coming their way. Because what Jesus is actually saying is, I want you to learn to forgive without limit. 
There, there is no measure or limit to the forgiveness that you would offer to other people. Now that is a little bit of a challenging ask, don't you think? Is that fair? I, I, I want you to, to think of it like this. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, five, it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now that got me thinking. If you really want a marriage to struggle, keep a record of wrongs. <laughs> is that fair? I knew what I signed up when I married Wendy. By the way, Wendy knew what she was signing up for when she married me. I knew I was not getting a perfect woman. She knew she was not getting a perfect man. And what that means is in the middle of it all, it was gonna get messy. And it has been for 22 years this December 15th. There's just been all kinds of messiness. You know, you throw four girls in the mix and it gets real interesting. You know, there are times where you just go, you know, I did not know that that was in me, but it was circumstances draw things out and you're like, wow, that's just not the best part of me. And you know who was, who's often been on the receiving end of it? It's been my wife. She's been on the receiving end of it. You know, on her side, you know who's been often on the receiving end of frustration and anger? It's been me, it's been me. You know what I'm talking about? But what if I said, you know the rule of thumb in our marriage, we're gonna keep a record of wrongs. <laughs> and, when you, and when you come home at the end of the day, our, our wall in our bedroom uh, is actually going to be the place where we etch these memories so that we can have these wonderful moments of remembrances of our great failures for each other. You, I kind of make a joke about it to make a serious point. You know intuitively it won't work. And yet we do it. We do it. We can think, we can think back in times to, you pick whatever relationship you want, I don't care. You can think back to a time 20 something years ago when somebody did something to you and you can remember it and feel it like it happened a minute ago. You know what I'm talking about. What you see, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Without limit, without limit. And now Jesus knew that there would be some objections to what he just said, because that's the way we work, we object. So he tells a story about a king that was settling accounts with his servants. Now, just so you know, and a little bit of background here, it doesn't tell us why they were servants. Oftentimes people were servants in the ancient Near East because they owed a debt, you know what I mean? Uh, so like, you owe me $10,000, well, I don't have $10,000. That's okay, you can come work for me. It, it was a debt and you could work that off. It, it may be something like that. The text actually doesn't tell us, but let's look at it. So he says, here's the story. The king comes to settle accounts with the slaves in verse 24, and as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, or some of your uh, translations might say something a, a little bit different like talents. A man who owed 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him, and since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had be sold to repay the debt. You see there? We're going to put you into servitude to somebody else until you can pay the debt that you owe me. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. He says, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Okay, now stop for a second because this is a little bit lost in translation, but how in the world is this working class person going to pay back an amount that he can never pay back? And yet here he is saying he could do it. No, he couldn't. No, he couldn't. And so in verse 27, it says, the servant's master took pity on him and he canceled or forgave the debt and he let him go. 
But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, give or take about three months of, of wages. And he grabs him and he began to choke him. By the way, that's pretty violent there, don't you think? I mean, this guy is just coming on the coattails of owing a guy an amount that he could never pay back, runs into somebody who owes him an amount that he probably could pay back, just given a little bit of time, and he thinks the proper response to this is to physically choke him. That's interesting. So he chokes him and he says, pay back what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him. Does that sound familiar to anybody? He fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Now that, in that moment, imagine being the guy that's owed a couple of months something back, right? And you think there, you would think he would go, oh my gosh, I just had this moment myself. I remember saying the exact same thing to somebody that I owed a lot more to. And that wasn't his reaction. Because in verse 30, it says he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt, basically a debtor's prison. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I'd had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should be paid back everything that he owed. This, it says in verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Not, by the way, not just canceling the debt. When somebody does something wrong to you, there's a debt that is there. It's there. It's not just a matter of canceling the debt. But he says, you forgive from your heart, which means you're not gonna be harboring bitterness toward them. You're not gonna be harboring anger toward them. That's not what is going to be consuming your heart. You're not gonna be worried about getting even with them or frankly, making them feel doubly worse for what they had done to you. That's not what's going to be flowing out of you. John MacArthur was making a point about this story. He said, if you look at the historical documents of the time, it's been determined that the total annual revenue collected by the Roman government from Idumea, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee was 900 talents. So think about your taxes for a second. That's about how much that they were bringing in. He said, so based on those figures, 10,000 talents amounted to more than 11 years of taxes from those areas. That gives you some financial perspective of what we're talking about here. Or here, here's another example. If you look back in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, the total amount of gold that was given for the use in the temple, it says was 8,000 talents for the building of the temple. Now, I only give you those two examples basically to make kind of an important point. That's a lot of cash. And this guy owed more than the amount of talents that went into the building of the temple. I, I gotta be honest with you. In rereading this story, I had to think, what in the world did this guy spend the money on? Like, where did it go? It doesn't tell you. It just says he had the debt. He had the debt. So why the example in here in Matthew chapter 18 of the master forgiving the servant that owed that much. I, th I think we have an example 
from Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 34. And I want you to picture this for just a second. This is the time of the passion of Jesus. Time where he's been handed over to be put on trials that were unjust, only to be handed over to people that he shouldn't have been handed over to, that he was going to be scourged, which would literally have ripped the flesh off of his body, that he was going to have nails that were gonna be driven through his hands and through his feet. It's this moment. And in Luke 23, it says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by the casting of lots. See, the, the they, that's hard to say, the they that this passage is talking about, forgive them. The they they are talking about are his executioners. The ones that are literally taking his life. And while he's still there alive, he's looking down and they're taking his stuff and divvying it up. And he says, forgive them. Here he is suffering injustice, watching them mock him, watching them take his things. By the way, all the while knowing I could call down the angels on your head right now and all of this would be over. He could have done that, but his response was, Father, forgive them. See, this is what Jesus is like. And you have this model because this is what Jesus is like. You have the full embodied picture of what God is like. A part of the normal working of his everyday life. This is what God is like. And then it got me thinking. I'm not so much like that. It's not that I haven't forgiven people. I have forgiven people. But I would struggle with hanging on a cross and saying, forgive them. I'm just being honest with you. He did not. We're reminded of this in Paul as he wrote the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter four, verses 30 and 31. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. He says, instead be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you just like that. And that's the cross moment, isn't it? Put aside bitterness and anger and rage. Put aside, by the way, your biting comments to people. Put aside your sarcasm. And I don't mean like the hilarious kind of sarcasm. I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about. Some of it's just absolutely hilarious. But there's also some other sarcasm that comes from a place that is a deep wound and you're just wanting to hurt somebody. I'm talking about that kind of sarcasm. Paul is saying, put it aside. And the reason that he says it is, is because it grieves the Holy Spirit. And it's utterly unlike the example given before you in Jesus Christ. So Paul, here's the other thing this means. That means that some of us are stuck in our relationship with God because we are stuck in our relationship with other people. We, we are held captive and bound up by an unforgiving spirit. 
Now here's what I'm not telling you this morning. Somebody, somebody has stolen $1,000 from you and they come back and they say, would you forgive me? Yes, I will. Okay, will you trust me? You bet. I didn't say the second part. We're gonna talk about that later. Sometimes you have to recover some things that are lost because of wrongs done. But the fact that in a moment you have a choice to say, I forgive you, is where it all begins. Some people allow themselves to be overcome with bitterness and rage while others take the hurt and they make something beautiful out of it. Jerry Bashir is he's a New Testament scholar. He said, when we even think about forgiving, here's what it means. It means to release them. It means to release them to the one that has sinned against me, that is releasing them to collect on the moral debt that they owe me and to not pay them back for their offense. So instead of giving them pain for the pain that they give me, I absorb the pain into myself and I do it with God's help. Jesus absorbed our pain into himself on the cross. We absorb the pain into ourselves when other people do wrong against us and they will. And usually the people that you love the most. John Mark Comer had a great sermon and he said, when it comes to forgiveness, there are really kind of two levels when you think about it. Here's level one, is releasing people from a wrong that's done. That's what's happened in the past. So forgiving the one that hurt you, it could be a parent that was abusive. It could be a friend that stole your romantic interest. It could be a, a, a coworker that sabotaged your career. Luke chapter six, verse 28, it says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. The, the whole story of forgiveness begins with praying to God, just like Jesus before in Luke 23, you pray to God to forgive them and to have the spirit in you like Jesus so that you can forgive them and release them and release them. That, that's one part. Some of you might remember the story of Corey Ten Boom. Such a powerful story. If you've never read The Hiding Place, let me go encourage you to do it. But you go back into World War II, and her family were actually taking Jews into their home and they were hiding them, the hiding place. Well, apparently it was found out that that's what they were doing. And of course the Germans come in and they sweep up their family and they take them to a death camp. Um, she, that is she and her sister, Corrie Boom and her sister Betsy, they were taken to Ravensbrück. And unfortunately, Betsy died while they were there in that death camp. But there was a story, you know, Corey Ten Boom, she survives, she makes it to the other side. And one of the reasons that she is so well known is because she had such a spirit of forgiveness. She was known for being a person that had a spirit of forgiveness and she was just telling their story. Well, there was a time where she was brought back into Germany, if you can imagine that. She goes back into Germany and she's speaking to a crowd and she's speaking to the crowd about forgiveness. She finishes her, her uh, presentation. The people have come and visited with her. The crowd has started to dissipate. You know, they were going back to their life. And then she says she looked and she saw a man that was coming toward her and she immediately recognized him because he was one of the guards at Ravensbrook. Could you imagine that moment? The, the, the man that was in charge of overseeing her and her sister and other women when they were put in a camp, probably to die, which her sister did. And he walks up to her and he asks her forgiveness. That's tough. 
And it's especially tough since she had just done a talk on forgiveness. You're like, of all the worst times in the world, I wish I'd talked about something else. But here's what it was. She, in that moment, she said, I, I was sitting there, she was struggling with it and she couldn't do it. Even after having just talked about it, she said, I couldn't do it. She said, but then I pivoted and I said, Lord, help me to forgive this man. Help me to forgive this man. He sticks his hand out to shake her hand. And she said, it was the power of God through prayer that she, stuck her, she, she put her hand out. And when their hands came together, she said, it was like electricity went through my body. And I genuinely forgave him and told him that. Told him that. Because as a part of his story and the reason that he was approaching her is that he said, since I left what I was doing, I have come to Christ and I'm asking you to forgive me. And she did. There, there's nothing in the story that I'm sharing with you that would indicate in that moment it was easy for her because she's very honest about it. It was not easy for her. It was not easy for her. She had to beg God to help her to forgive this man, to work on her heart, to bring that kind of heart for him. And the Lord did. That's where it starts to release them because of what they've done to you. And then the second part, it's releasing yourself from your own anger and resentment and bitterness toward them. See, that's about today and where you're going in your future. Releasing them is about what happened in the past. Releasing the bitter and rage and anger that's inside of you is about what you're going to choose today and how you want your future to look. I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm telling you it's right. It's right. Corey Ten Boom prays to God to help her to forgive. I was, I was actually reading, there was a pastor and he was sharing, you remember when 9-11 happened and all across the country, you had pastors and churches that were getting together and they were praying for the country and they were praying for the people in New York City because so many lives had been lost. They were praying for the police and the firefighters because they just had a monumental task that was ahead of them in trying to put the city back together. You re many of you remember that. That was a really difficult time in, our, in the life of our country, wasn't it? And this pastor was sharing a story. He said there was this big prayer vigil where all of these churches were getting together so that they could pray. And he was given the task of praying for our enemies. He was like, you have got to be kidding me. That's the one you would give to me? Oh, that's the one. And so he jokingly, oh, I think seriously, he said, oh, I'll pray for him, all right. <laughs> I'll pray for him, all right. I'm gonna pray that God strikes him in the face. That's basically where he thought he would start, right? Those, what's called an imprecatory psalm. God, would you smite them in the nose? Would you mash their teeth? He goes, that's, that's kind of where I was starting with everything. He said, but then I realized, that's eh, probably not the best place to start. He said, so I started back over. And as I was thinking about it, he said, he said, ask the Lord, to change my heart so that I could pray for them the way that they needed to be prayed for. He said, the first thing that I prayed for is that God would bring justice because God desires justice. He said, there was nothing wrong with praying for justice. Many of the perpetrators had already died. He said, but here was the difficult part of me having to pray in front of all of these people, praying for my enemies, is that they would see him as a betrayer, 
Oh, you're not true to our country. He goes, I was feeling the weight. That's fair, isn't it? He said, all the while that I'm praying for my enemies, I am realizing that many of them that are still alive are still plotting harm on my country as I'm praying for them. And, but he prayed. So not only did he pray for justice, he said, I prayed that God would so order the circumstances of their life that they would see their need for repentance and Jesus. He said, I prayed for my enemies. God work on their heart. They need you, just like me. This is what reminds me so powerfully of the cross, not just what we read in Luke chapter 23, not just Christ's willingness to forgive while the sin is, being happen is happening to him. But I love what Peter Crave said. He wrote a book called Back to Virtue. I recommend it to you. He said, mercy goes beyond justice. It does not undercut it. If I forgive you the $100 debt you owe me, that means I must use $100 of my own money to pay my creditors. I, I cannot really make you $100 richer without making myself $100 poorer. He said, so if the debt is real, it must be paid. And if it is my mercy that repays your debt, I must pay it. That's the reason why Christ had to die, why God could not simply say, forget it. Instead, he said, forgive it. And that meant that if we didn't pay it, then he had to pay it himself. And I think that's a beautiful way for you to understand why the cross is so important, is that he paid it. There's no one else that paid it for you but him. There is no other way to the Father except through the Son. He paid it. See, this is, this is the story of what love really looks like. And this is the story of most of my life. I came to Jesus a little bit later, but what that meant was all of my life, he was offering me this relationship and love, and it was a love that was unrequited. It was a love that wasn't given back, which meant there was still a gap between us. Only until later did I say, this is what I need. I had to, I had to come to Jesus like that prison guard from Ravensbrook had to come to Corey Ten Boom. And the only thing that I could say is I'm asking you to forgive me. That's it. It's all I've got. And I'm begging you to do it. Here's what you have on the promise of the word of God for you today. His grace is sufficient. And his answer is yes. It's yes. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.